a response to Denver Snuffer's essay entitled Plural Marriage, Ignoring Inconvenient Evidences, Part 1, by Brian C. Hales, read by Brian C. Hales. Abstract, Denver Snuffer posted an essay entitled Plural Marriage on March 22, 2015. It is apparently a transcription of a recent talk he had given and provides his followers with his views on Joseph Smith and plural marriage. Snuffer's basic conclusion is that the prophet did not practice polygamy. He alleges that the historical evidences that support Joseph's participation should instead be attributed to John C. Bennett's activity in Nauvoo in 1840-1842 or blamed on Brigham Young's behaviors and teachings after the martyrdom. This article provides references to dozens of documents that counter this conclusion and shows plainly that Snuffer is in error. On page 28 of the transcript, Snuffer shifts away from the subject of plural marriage, touching on several themes he has written on before. Part 2 of this response will specifically address those 20 pages of Denver Snuffer's claims. Multiple Ironies In his essay, Plural Marriage, Denver Snuffer provides his followers with an analysis and conclusions regarding reports that Joseph Smith was married to more than one wife. Snuffer is the author of multiple books, some of which discuss plural marriage, explains to his audience why he chose to address the topic at this time. Quote, This is a subject I address sooner than I would have liked. It is driven by recent events that necessitate addressing the subject now. I should not put this off for another 18 months or more while I work on so many other projects given to me. There are so many former polygamists who have had recently been rebaptized that there is a need to clarify some of our history and underlying teachings to address the subject so people do not lapse back into the mistake of, plural, of polygamy again. Therefore, this has been driven by the current needs and not necessarily by whether I want to address this subject now. It needs to be done, and I am going to do it. Page 1. End of quote. Apparently, some of his followers were polygamous before embracing his teachings. Having then been rebaptized by him or under his direction, they sought his advice on the status of their plural unions, as well as his beliefs regarding Joseph Smith's involvement in polygamy. Doubtless, those who were living in plural relationships were anxious to learn how his counsel might affect their polygamous families. Other followers might have wondered what the future held concerning Snuffer's teachings on exaltation and plurality. Because Snuffer chose to single out my Joseph Smith's Polygamy History and Theology volumes as a primary reference for his ideas, I felt it might be useful to address his assertions. They not only call in question my interpretations, but also mirror a trendy reconstruction, gaining traction on the internet and elsewhere, that seeks to deny the nature of Joseph's actual involvement in the practice. Concerning my attempt to lay out a timeline of Joseph Smith's interactions with polygamy, Snuffer writes, quote, I take issue with the speculative chronology in these books, end of quote. Indeed, chronology is very important. A speculative chronology would not be one based upon historical evidence, but instead upon opinion and conjecture. Snuffer and I agree that such would not be useful to seekers desiring the truth. In his essay, Snuffer brings nothing new to the discussion of plural marriage. In fact, Snuffer's interpretations regarding the prophet and polygamy are ironic in several ways. Snuffer declares, quote, I am only interested in addressing one thing. What did Joseph Smith understand, teach, and do related to the subject of the plurality of wives? Page 2, end of quote. Yet, he quotes very few people who heard Joseph Smith teach, even though such references are readily available in multiple published primary sources, including my three volumes. Early in Snuffer's speech, he explains his own interpretations of Joseph Smith's teachings and behaviors regarding plural marriage, but nowhere does he address the plain evidences that contradict his position. It is similar to a courtroom battle where only the prosecution is allowed to testify. While classed with Mormon fundamentalists in many of his views, Snuffer rejects modern polygamy and invites contemporary polygamists to desist from their plural behaviors. Quote, 
those who are in polygamy now, being baptized to leave it sick, need to end the practice with them. End of quote, page 42. Though sometimes subtle throughout the text, Denver Snuffer portrays himself as a new guiding visionary to readers. This relevance to plural marriage is not obvious. The focus of the article shifts away from polygamy on page 28, devoting most of the last 20 pages to topics including severe condemnation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, even though the Church condemns the early practice, earthly practice of plural marriage among members. These pages will be covered in part two of my response. Heading, Defending Joseph Smith Against Charges of Adultery. Throughout the essay, Denver Snuffer positions himself as a defender of Joseph Smith's moral integrity with many supporting statements. Quote, I would not want to attribute to Joseph Smith sexual indiscretions, page 2. My theory of what happened, taking Joseph Smith's claim, he was not guilty of any great or malignant sins at face value, page 10. None of us would want to attribute to Joseph Smith's sexual sins, page 10. I would be careful of accusations you make against Joseph, page 12. We are forced to choose between circumstantial proof, often from witnesses telling their tale decades after the event, compounded by the conjecture of the witness or the audience who heard the witness, to support the proposition that Joseph Smith was a vile hypocrite, page 14. End of quotes. Despite these declarations, Snuffer also alleges, quote, there is some proof that Joseph had improper relations with a woman. That's page 45. Proof is strong, a strong word for an attorney and sends a subtle and conflicting message. Regardless, Snuffer's defenses of the prophet are paradoxical. He approaches plural marriage by implying that such relationships would have been adulterous and then affirms that Joseph Smith never engaged in such associations. Quote, it would be bigamy to marry another woman for this life while having an existing wife. I do not believe Joseph Smith was ever involved in adultery or bigamy. Joseph Smith had a wife. If he had others, it was for the afterlife and not for bigamy. Page two, end of quote. Of course, Snuffer is entitled, entitled to his opinion, but his response piles two faulty speculations on top of each other in order to advance his interpretation. Heading, plural marriage was not adultery. Snuffer asserts that polygamy would have been adultery. This is inaccurate according to modern-day revelation. Joseph Smith's first inquiry regarding Old Testament polygamy was to discover how such behaviors had been justified. That is, how could Abraham and Jacob practice plural marriage without committing adultery? The question was most likely raised in 1831 as he was translating the Bible. Nauvoo polygamist Joseph B. Noble recalled in 1883, quote, The prophet Joseph told him that the doctrine of celestial marriage was revealed to him while he was engaged on the work of translation of the scriptures, the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But when the communication was first made, the Lord stated that the time for the practice of the principle had not yet arrived. End of quote. Records show that the prophet was working with Genesis in February and March of 1831. There would have been, he would have encountered the accounts of polygamous patriarchs like Abraham and Jacob. Verse 1 of the Revelation, now DNC 132, begins with this question about how polygamy was not adultery. Quote, Verily, thus saith the Lord unto my servant Joseph, that inasmuch as you have inquired at my hand to know and understand wherein I, the Lord, justified my servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants, as touching the principle and doctrine of their having many wives and concubines. End of quote. Portions of the remaining revelation discuss how ancient patriarchs entered into plural unions and had children by polygamous wives without committing sin. For example, Abraham's wife Sarah bore Isaac, and his other wife Hagar bore Ishmael. Concerning Abraham's other children, the Old Testament reads, quote, Unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave 
gifts and sent them away. End of quote. Abraham's grandson Jacob had 12 sons by four women. According to Latter-day Saint canonized doctrine, none of the fathers and mothers in these polygamous families committed sin in their marital behaviors. The divinely sanctioned practice of Old Testament polygamy needs to be addressed if any author, including Denver Snuffer, is going to assert that Latter-day polygamy is inherently adulterous. Nowhere in the DNC 132 does the Lord condemn authorized polygamy. Using Old Testament language, where men were considered to have ownership of their wives and children, verse 61 states plainly that if a man espouse a second wife by proper authority, quote, then he is justified. He cannot commit adultery, for they are given unto him. For he cannot commit adultery with that which that belongeth unto him and to no one else. End of quote. In short, asserting that church-authorized plural marriages in Joseph Smith's day were adultery is not substantiated by any known scripture or teaching from that period. Heading, Joseph Smith sought to multiply and replenish with his plural wives. The next assertion advanced by Snuffer is that Joseph did not consummate his plural marriages because they were only spiritual, not physical, marriages. This idea contradicts one of the reasons for plural marriage that is plainly declared in the Revelation. Verse 63 states, quote, For they are given unto him to multiply and replenish the earth according to my commandment, that they may bear the souls of men. End of quote. The language is unambiguous. To multiply and replenish the earth requires sexual relations. Also, the Lord stated in the Book of Mormon that one reason plural marriage might be commanded was to raise up seed unto the Lord. See Jacob 2 and 30. This could not be done if celibacy was maintained in plural relationships. Helen Mar Kimball, one of Joseph's plural wives, explained, It was revealed to Joseph Smith that there were thousands of spirits yet unborn who were anxiously awaiting for the privilege of coming down to take tabernacles of flesh that their glory might be complete. End of quote. Concerning Joseph Smith's plural wives, Denver Snuffer intimates that they left no record of their marriages to the prophet. Quote, the women involved left us nothing. End of quote, page 27. In reality, they left us dozens of letters, statements, affidavits, and declarations that affirm that some of the marriages were consummated. For example, Three of Joseph Smith's wives were questioned in the Temple Lot trial in 1892. All declared under oath that they experienced sexual relations as Joseph's plural wife. Undoubtedly, they were mortified to make the, their intimate relations with the prophet public. Yet, when asked, quote, Did you ever have carnal intercourse with Joseph Smith? End of quote. Emily Partridge answered plainly, Yes, sir. When the prodding, followed, prodding follow-up question how many nights was posed, she responded, I could not tell you. Similarly, Melissa Lott was asked, did you ever room with Joseph Smith as his wife? She responded, yes, sir. When the inquirer sought more specific information by asking, did you cohabit with him as a wife? The answer was the same, yes, sir. Melissa reiterated her involvement in 1893 when questioned by Joseph Smith III. He inquired, were you married to my father? She answered, yes. Seeking more clarity, the prophet's son asked precisely, Was you a wife in very deed? The answer was affirmed. Lucy Walker's res- response to the Temple Lot prosecutor question, Did you live with Joseph Smith as his wife? was a little more ambiguous. She responded, He was my husband, sir. But several other sources corroborate that Juicy had, Lucy had conjugal relations with Joseph. In addition to these plain admissions are multiple secondary sources that support that Joseph Smith consummated other plural unions. Joseph B. Noble, the brother-in-law of the polygamous wife Louisa Beeman, also testified in the Temple Lot litigation. When asked, do you know whether Joseph Smith ever lived with Louisa Beeman as his wife, he answered, I know it, for I saw him in bed with her. They did sleep together. Also, Benjamin Winchester corroborated conjugality in a statement regarding Louisa Beeman, when asked, did they sleep together? He replied, matter of fact, yes, they did. Almira Johnson's brother, Benjamin F. Johnson, penned this reminiscence, quote, the prophet with Louisa Beeman and my sister Delsina had it agreeably arranged with sister Almira, and after a little instruction, she stood by the prophet's side and was sealed to him as a wife by brother Clayton, 
after which the prophet asked me to take my sister to occupy room number 10 in the mansion home during her stay in the city. But as I could not long be absent from my home and business, we soon returned to Ramus, where on the 15th of May, some three weeks after the prophet again came and at my house occupied the same room and bed with my sister, end of quote. Additional evidence supporting sexuality can be identified in the historical record regarding other plural wives, including Eliza Maria Partridge, Almira Woodard, Johnson, Maria Lawrence, Sarah Lawrence, Melissa Lott, Olive Frost, and Mary Heron. Heading, Children from Joseph Smith's Plural Wives. Snuffer bolsters his case for non-sexual plural unions by observing that no children have been documented through DNA testing. Quote, In the effort to identify children of Joseph Smith born by a plural wife, DNA testing has not proven a single child to be Joseph's. The only woman who bore him children was his wife, Emma. The only woman who bore him children was his wife, Emma. There are those complain some of DNA testing cannot prove one way or another. The test is equivocal. But to admit that is to concede the point there is no proof of his posterity. So, in the absence of proof, I would be careful of the accusations you make against Joseph, end of quote, page 12. The verbiage chosen by Snuffer is unfortunate. Offspring from one of Joseph Smith's plural unions would not be surprising and would not constitute an accusation. Regardless, it is true that DNA testing of available candidates has not produced a single uncontestable positive. However, Josephine Lyon, daughter of Sylvia Lyon, is positive. But, as Ugo Perigo explains, quote, in light of the multiple familial relationships shared by both Josephine Lyons and Joseph Smith's descendants, it is clear that a lot of genealogical noise is also present. End of quote. The result is inconclusive, not negative. There are reports of jo- children being born to Joseph's polygamous wives. Mary Elizabeth Rollins Leitner stated, I know that he, Joseph Smith, had three children. They told me. I think two are living today, in 1905. They are are not known as his children as they go by other names. On another occasion, she declared, I don't know about his having children, but I heard of three that he was the father of. Multiple sources support a child was born to Joseph Smith's plural wife, Olive Frost, that did not live long or may have miscarried. Joseph E. Robinson wrote, quote, During the afternoon, I called on Aunt Lizzie. She knew Joseph Smith had more than two wives. She said he married Olive Frost and had a child by him, and that both died, end of quote. Some evidence has been found supporting the birth of a third child. A son of the prophet and one of his plural wives may have been raised by the Dibble family. A second-hand account from Lucy Missouri Smith, wife of Apostle George A. Smith, recalls that while living in Nauvoo, her husband, quote, related to me the circumstance of calling on the prophet one evening about 11 o'clock, and he was out of the, on the porch with a basin of water washing his hands. I said to him, what is up? Said Joseph, one of my wives has just been confined, and Emma was the midwife, and I have been assisting her. He said she had granted a number of women for him. End of quote. Hopefully, these brief documentary references show plainly that asserting, as Snuffer does, that plural marriage would have been adultery in light of the theology taught by Joseph Smith and the prophet did not practice it is contradicted by multiple reliable evidences. If Snuffer wishes to successfully advance his unique interpretation, he should also address these evidences rather than hope that his this audience will not be aware of them. Heading, Focusing on Fanny Alger The weaknesses of Snuffer's arguments do not mean that he fails to provide a case in support of his position. He promotes several evidences that might validate his views, but as shown below, the historical topics he chooses to discuss do not directly defend his interpretation, but are more akin to diversions away from the pertinent primary documents. Snuffer spends pages 6 through 10 discussing whether the plural marriage between Joseph Smith and Fanny Alger included sexuality and concludes, quote, Fanny Alger may well have been Joseph Smith's first plural wife, but whatever else that may have 
involved, there was no malignant sin or adultery involved with the relationship. With Fanny and Joseph in the prime of their reproductive years, together they produced no children. Page 9. End of quote. Unfortunately for his readers, Snuffer's discussion regarding Fanny Alger is like beating a dead horse. I have accumulated the 20 known historical manuscripts referring to the incident. A couple of them could be used to support the existence of sexual relations, but as both Denver and I agree, the evidence is inconclusive. The observation that no children are documented arising from the Union is not particularly meaningful. For several reasons, manuscript evidence of a child might not have persisted in the historical record. Neither do we know how long after the marriage ceremony was performed that the Union was discovered by Emma and was practically dissolved when Emma sent Fanny away. It could have been months or years, but it also could have been just weeks. Snuffer's observations regarding Fanny Alger are not particularly thorough or applicable to the question of whether Joseph consummated any of his plural marriages. Regarding such questions, Fanny is a poor example and hardly worth mentioning because the available evidences describing their interactions are so sparse and contradictory. Heading, Extended Discussion About John C. Bennett Snuffer spends a number of pages, 14 through 23, reviewing John C. Bennett's activities among the Latter-day Saints between late 1840 and June of 1842, the time of his departure from Nauvoo. Bennett was an adulterer before arriving in Nauvoo, and he continued his debaucheries there, seducing multiple unsuspecting women. Sometime in early 1842, he heard rumors of plural marriage, but there is no evidence that Joseph ever taught him anything about it. Denver's multi-page discussion about John C. Bennett is puzzling, unless an author is attempting to shift rumors of Nauvoo polygamy onto Bennett and his adulterous activities. In fact, it appears Snuffer is making that very assertion. Quote, Those who have grappled with the subject of polygamy must look back through a lens that has been distorted by John C. Bennett. Whether you accept Bennett's account or suspect it may have some truth, or you reject it altogether, you must nonetheless at least confront it as one of the earliest hints of what was happening in Nauvoo during Joseph Smith's lifetime. To measure Joseph's public statements, you need to be acquainted with the sexual mischief going on in the city and the public clamor Bennett was attracting for Nauvoo citizens and Joseph Smith as their leader. It was against this backdrop that Joseph's public statements and private conduct must be interpreted. Page 21, end of quote. There are multiple problems with such an interpretation. Primary among them is the timeline. Available evidence indicates that at the time Bennett became estranged from Joseph, about May or April of 1842, the prophet may have been the only authorized polygamist in Nauvoo. By that date, he had been sealed to perhaps seven women, Louisa Beeman, Zina Huntington, Priscilla Huntington, Agnes Coolbrith, Mary Elizabeth Rollins, Patty Bartlett, and Miranda Johnson most of whom were plausibly non-sexual, eternity-only sealings. The bulk of Joseph Smith's plural marrying occurred well after Bennett was out of the picture. There is a chart showing that wives 1 through 8 were prior to Bennett's leaving Nauvoo, and wives 9 through 35, by my account, were uh, most likely afterwards, although five of them, the date is not known. As shown in the chart, the vast majority of prophets' plural marriages for time and eternity occurred after John C. Bennett had moved away from the the saints. A similar timeline is found among sealing dates of other Nauvoo polygamists. Why Vincent Knight, Brigham Young, and Heber C. Kimball each married one plural wife in undated ceremonies before the summer of 1842, their sealings appear to have been a reaction to an early February angelic visit to Joseph Smith commanding him and other LDS men to practice plural marriage. These three men might have been involved with plural marriage while Bennett was in Nauvoo, but it is plain that the remaining 26 men who entered polygamous unions before the martyrdom did so after Bennett's exit from Nauvoo. Uh, There is another chart showing 29 men had entered into 50 plural unions um, prior to Joseph Smith's death, Three of them may have entered into one marriage each during Bennett's uh, 
time in Nauvoo, though that is not provable. But clearly, um, the remaining 26 men who who married at least 47 women did so after Bennett had left. This, these charts demonstrate that the majority of Nauvoo plural unions were sealed well after Bennett had left Nauvoo and his friendship with Joseph had been severed. Coupling that with that detail with multiple evidences that Joseph Smith did not teach Bennett about eternal plural marriage demonstrates that Snuffer's extended examination of John C. Bennett is not helpful in discerning any of the important details of Joseph Smith's introduction of polygamy, because that expansion occurred well after Bennett had left the picture. Heading, Blaming Brigham Young. Toward the last few pages of the essay, Snuffer returns to the topic of plural marriage and advances an additional theory. He blames Brigham Young for polygamy as it was practiced after the martyrdom, labeling it a, quote, vast wasteland of adulterous relationships unapproved by God, unsanctioned by him, end of quote, page 41. Snuffer is very critical of Brigham, quote, access to sex partners was the purpose Brigham Young practiced. That was done was in error. The perpetuation of this error, the perpetuation of it is an error, page 42. Brigham Young wanted to breed and wanted to establish it as a fundamental part of his religion, page 45. It is time to throw away the detour Brigham Young imposed on Mormonism, page 45. End of quotes. Separating Joseph Smith's teachings from those of Brigham Young and other late church leaders is paramount for any theory that alleges that the prophet did not practice or authorize plural marriage. Snuffer explains, quote, Joseph Smith was not Brigham Young. Brigham Young did not comprehend the things Joseph comprehended, end of quote, page 45. However, an uncomfortable truth for Snuffer is that multiple evidences support that men like Brigham Young learned of plural marriage right from Joseph Smith's own mouth between December 13, 1841 and May 18, 1842, the prophet's diary contains 21 references to Brigham Young and 15 to Heber C. Kimball and 13 to Willard Richards, who became a polygamist January 18, 1843. The context of these encounters described in the journal varies from Joseph teaching Brigham regarding the building of the temple on December 11th to a group meeting with Brigham, Heber C. Kimball, Willard Richards, and John Taylor on December 27th, quote, instructing them in the principles of the kingdom, end of quote. Is there any evidence that marriage doctrines were taught during this, these meetings? Yes. An, eight, an October 23, 1843 reference in Brigham Young's journal states plainly, quote, with Elder Heber C. Kimball and George A. Smith, I visited the prophet Joseph, who was glad to see us. He taught us many principles illustrating the doctrine of celestial marriage concerning which God had given him a revelation. End of quote. New heading. Joseph Smith taught the apostles about plural marriage. Seven apostles returned from their missions to England in 1841. Heber C. Kimball, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff, George A. Smith, and Brigham Young left documents describing how Joseph Smith taught them about the restoration of polygamy. Heber C. Kimball's daughter, Helen Mar Kimball, vividly recalled her father's homecoming. On the first day of July, my father with President Young and Brother John Taylor arrived home from their missions. The prophet and many more were already there to greet and welcome them home again. Joseph would have them go home with him to dinner. We thought this almost an unkindness, for it seemed so long a time to us who were waiting and watching with impatience to see him. My mother felt the presence of others at such a time almost an intrusion, but Brother Joseph seemed unwilling to part with my father, and from that time kept the twelve in council early and late, and she sometimes felt nearly jealous of him, but never dreamed that he was during those times revealing to them the principle of celestial marriage and they little realized the meaning of the word when he said he was rolling off the kingdom on his from his own shoulders onto the shoulders of the twelve. End of quote. In a discourse delivered on the tenth anniversary of the martyrdom, 
Apostle John Taylor recalled those early days when the prophet introduced the principle to them, quote, I remember being with President Young and Kimball, and I think one or two others with Brother Joseph, soon after we had returned from England. He talked with us on those principles and laid them before us. It tried our minds and feelings. We saw it was something going to be heavy on us. It was not that very nice, pleasing thing some people thought about it. It is something that harried up our feelings. Did we believe it? Yes, we did. The whole rest of the brethren did, but still we should have been glad to push it off a little further. We would have been glad if it had not come in our day, but that somebody else had something to do with it instead of us. Years later, on October 14, 1842, President John Taylor again recalled the event. Quote, when this principle was first made known to us by Joseph, it was in Nauvoo, and many of you will remember the place very well. We were assembled in the little office over the brick store, there being President, Brothers Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball, Orson Hyde, and myself. Brother Willard Richards may have been present too, but I'm not positive. Upon that occasion, Joseph Smith laid before us the whole principle pertaining to that doctrine, and we believed it. Having done this, Joseph felt, as he said, that he had got a big burden rolled off his shoulders. He felt the responsibility of what of the matter resting heavily upon him, notwithstanding, however, that we received the principle and believed it, yet we were in no great hurry to enter into it. End of quote. During an 1892 deposition taken in the Temple Lot litigation, Wilford Woodruff recounted his feelings upon returning from England on October 5, 1841, from his apostolic mission. Quote, Joseph Smith, of course, taught that principle while in Nauvoo, and he not only taught it, but he practiced it too. I heard him teach it. He taught it to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and he taught it to other individuals as they bear testimony. I know he taught it to us. He, in his address to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, when he visited us, he would teach that. It was nearly six months, and he spoke of it frequently. He taught it to us as a principle, among other things. End of quote. Apostle George A. Smith also remembered this period, quote, at one of my first interviews that he had with Joseph after returning from his mission to England on July 13, 1841, he was greatly astonished at hearing from the lips of the doctrine, that doctrine of patriarchal marriage, which he continued to preach to me from time to time. My last conversation with him on the subject occurred just previous to my departure with, from Nauvoo, May 9, 1844, in company with Elder Wilford Woodruff to attend a conference in Michigan. He testified to me and to my father, John Smith, that the Lord had given him the keys of this sealing ordinance, and he felt as liberal to others as he did to himself. End of quote. Warren Foote, whose niece was one of George A. Smith's plural wives, recorded a conversation in which George A. Smith related his struggle in accepting the revelation. Quote, January 23, 1846, <clears throat> after receiving our endowment, I and my wife went down to Brother George A. Smith, who had married my sister Betsy's daughter Nancy for his third wife. Brother Smith was at home. He related to us what a trial it was for him to receive the revelation on plural marriage. It was first made known to him by the prophet Joseph Smith. He did not feel at first as though he could receive it as from the Lord. But again, he knew that Joseph was a prophet of God and he durst not reject it. Thus, he reasoned with himself until he obtained a testimony from the Lord for himself. End of quote. <clears throat> Brigham Young returned to Nauvoo July 1, 1841, and immediately assumed a privileged position as Joseph Smith's confidant. Speaking at the Third Ward Meeting House in Salt Lake City when he was 73, he recalled his own spiritual preparation for Joseph's disclosure. Quote, We came to Nauvoo, and the Twelve went to England. While we were in England, I think, the Lord manifested to me by visions and His Spirit things that I did not then understand. I never opened my mouth to any persons concerning them until I returned to Nauvoo. Joseph had never mentioned this. There had never been a thought of it in the church that I knew anything about at that time. But I had this for myself, and I kept it to myself. And when I returned home and Joseph revealed these things to me, I then understood the reflections that were upon my mind while in England. But this was not until after I had told him what I understood. 
I saw that he was after something by his conversation, leading my mind along and others to see how we would bear this. This was in 1841. The revelation was given in 1843, but the doctrine was revealed before this, and when Joseph and when I told Joseph what I understood was right in front of my house in the street, as he was shaking hands and leaving me, he turned around and looked me in the eyes and says, He, Brother Brigham, are you speaking what you understand? Are you in earnest? Says I, I speak just as the Spirit manifests to me. Says he, God bless you. The Lord has opened your mind. And he turned and went off. Notwithstanding these intuitions, Brigham related in 1855 his initial anguish with the practice. Quote, My brethren know what my feelings were at the time Joseph revealed the doctrine. I was not desirous of shrinking from any duty, nor of failing in the least, to do what I was commanded. But it was the first time in my life that I had desired the grave, and I could hardly get over it for a long time. And when I saw a funeral, I felt to envy the corpse its situation and to regret that I was not in the coffin, end of quote. All, of all of the apostles, Brigham Young was apparently singled out by Joseph Smith to teach selected individuals regarding the principle. Joseph A. Kelting learned of plural marriage directly from Joseph Smith, but after his introduction, Kelting recalled that he, quote, referred me to Brigham Young if I wanted any more on the subject, Brigham seeming to be the man he trusted most with this matter and was putting him to the front, end of quote. Even Brigham could not teach doctrines independent of Joseph. Wilford Woodruff recalled that the prophet, quote, taught the principle to certain individuals. There was no one teaching it only under his direction, end of quote. Denver Snuffer attempts to dismiss these testimonies, quote, This will not be an attempt to explain what Brigham Young, John Taylor, George Cannon, or Orson Pratt thought, believed, or taught. They and their contemporaries have gone on record and elaborated on the subject. You all have their material in front of you. If you want to know what they believed, it is available to you. End of quote, page one. Why would any truth seeker ignore the teachings of men and women who were personally taught by Joseph Smith? New heading. Joseph Smith taught other church members about plural marriage. The apostles were not the only Latter-day Saints taught by Joseph Smith concerning, concerning plural marriage. Cyrus Wheelock recalled that he first learned the principle of plural marriage from the prophet at Joseph Noble's home in 1841. He reported that such teachings were subsequently shared with others on a rainy and chilly day in the forest setting about a mile west of Montrose, Iowa. There, Joseph taught a small group of men regarding plural marriage, quote, of, of Cyrus Wheelock, Joseph Smith had to be on the run to keep out of the way of his enemies, and sometimes he would go into the country to one of our neighbors, for he felt he could trust anyone that lived in the woods or forest down the river. And we would go out into the timber to talk under the trees about the principles of the church, among other principles, that of baptism for the dead was discussed, and the building of the temple, and all those things together. It was at this time, amongst others, that he taught us the principle of plural marriage, but his teaching was not specifically directed to me, but to all those who were in the company. We talked about it as we might hear, or any brother qualified as having authority to do so will discuss principles when he gets along with his brethren in friend and confidential discourse. End of quote. Samuel Richards remembered, quote, I heard Joseph Smith teach plural marriage privately to quite a number of it at different times, that is, in the aggregate to quite a number, but not to many at a time, and I never did hear him preach it or teach it in what would be called a public manner, end of quote. Similarly, Joseph C. Kingsbury recounted, quote, Joseph Smith taught me the principle of polygamy. He gave me to understand it with his own mouth, and he had, that he had married wives more than one. Now, in conversation with him, he told me that, end of quote. Another Nauvoo resident, Nathan Tanner, affirmed that, quote, in the spring of 1844 at Montrose Lee County, Iowa, he heard President Joseph Smith teach the doctrine of celestial marriage or plurality of wives, end of quote. In 1894, Joseph Kelting recalled his meeting with the prophet, quote, calling at the house of the prophet one day early in the spring of 1844 on some business or other not now remembered, the prophet invited me to, into a room upstairs in his house called the mansion. After we entered the room, he locked the door 
and then asked me if I had heard rumors connecting him with polygamy. I told him I had. He then became began a defense of the doctrine by referring to the Old Testament. I told him I did not want to hear that as I could read it for myself. He claimed to be a prophet. I believed him to be a prophet, and I wanted to know what he had to say about it. He expressed some doubt as to how I might receive it and wanted to know what stand I would take if I should not believe what he had to say about it. I then pledged my word that whether I believed his revelation or not, I would not betray him. He then informed me that he had received revelation from God, which taught the correctness of the doctrine of a plurality of wives and commanding him to obey it. He acknowledged to having married several wives. I told him that was all right. He said he would like a further pledge from me that I would not betray him. I asked him if he wanted me to accept the principle by marrying a plural wife. He answered yes. A short time after this, I married two wives in that order of marriage. End of quote. Elsewhere, Kelting recalled asking Joseph Smith during the interview, quote, Have you more than one wife sealed to you by this authority? The prophet answered directly, I have. Kelting went on to be sealed to two plural wives prior to the martyrdom. Joseph Smith acted as an intermediary, organizing a few plural marriages. Marianne Covington, Sheffield Smith Stratton West, was sealed to William Smith in the spring of 1844. She remembered, quote, I went to live at Orson Hyde's, and soon after that time, Joseph Smith wished to have an interview with me at Orson Hyde's. He had the interview with me, and then asked me if I had ever heard of a man having more wives than one, and I said I had not. He then told me that he had received the revelation from God that man could have more wives than one, and that men were now being married in plural marriage. He told me soon after that his brother William wished to marry me as a wife in plural marriage if I was willing to consent to it. He said there was a power on earth to seal wives in plural marriage, end of quote. Another Nauvoo Latter-day Saint, Mercy Rachel Fielding Thompson, explained in 1892 that her plural marriage was arranged by the prophet, quote, The prophet Joseph Smith taught me that the principal, the principal himself, both publicly and domestically or privately, the prophet himself told me it was a true principle and it was taught in the Bible, in the Old Bible. And I believed it, of course, because I could read it for myself in the Bible and see that it was practiced in those days, and the Lord approved of it and sanctioned it. And I believed it was the right course and believed it was what the prophet taught me, and he taught me that. He was, one, he was the one that introduced me, and he was the one that taught the principle of plural marriage to me first, and I heard him teach it to others. He taught it to me, I know, and he must to others, for my sister was the first one that came to me and spoke to me about being sealed to Hiram Smith. End of quote. In a letter to Joseph Smith III, Mercy Rachel Fielding Thompson explained how she was sealed to Hiram and that children were expected to be born from that plural marriage. Quote, the time was appointed with the consent of all parties, like Father, the Prophet Joseph Smith, who sealed me to your uncle Hiram for time in sister's room with a covenant to deliver me up in the morning of the resurrection to Robert Blachel Thompson with whatever offspring should be born of that union. At the time, at the same time, counseling your uncle to build a room for me and to have move over as soon as convenient, which I did, and I remained there as wife, the same as my sister, to the day of his death. All this I am ready to testify to, end of quote. Mercy Rachel Thompson stated that she was privileged to keep the written revelations some four or five days, something like that. She also recalled, I saw that revelation on polygamy and had it in my hands, saw what kind of paper it was written on. It was written on fool's cap. Writing in 1886, she added that Hiram put it into my hands and left it with me for several days. I had been sealed to him by Brother Joseph a few weeks previously. Arrowett L. Hale left a report describing how the prophet promoted plural marriage for, for very practical family-related reasons. Quote, Another incident that occurred in my hearing that I shall never forget, the prophet Joseph was at our house in, at Nauvoo on a visit. Uncle Henry Harriman, wife and others, was there. 
In the evening, Joseph was talking on the order of celestial marriage. All at once, he turned towards Uncle Harry Harriman. Says he, Brother Harry, your wife Clarissa is barren and will never have any children. You must take another wife. Without posterity, your name will be lost. You are of the seed of Joseph and only the only one of the Harriman family that is of that lineage and only one that will join the church. The prophet commanded, commanded Uncle Henry to raise up and take heed to that this commandment that he had made of him. He then turned to Aunt Clarissa, says he, Clarissa, if you will assist Henry in doing as I have commanded, the God of heaven will bless you and share these blessings in common with your husband. End of quote. Henry was sealed to Eliza Elizabeth Jones polygamously on January 16, 1846 in Nauvoo, and together they had ten children. Nauvoo church member Charles Lambert recounted, The prophet used to hold meetings in a log house of this of his sometimes twice a week. I don't remember missing one when I had a chance at one of these. He said he wished he had a people that he could reveal to them what the Lord had shown to him. But one thing I will say, there are thousands of spirits that have been wanting to come forth in this day and generation. Their proper channel is through the priesthood way. A way has to be provided, but the time has come that they have got to come anyway and thus left me in a fix. Sometime after this, William Clayton told me if I would come down into the basement of the temple, he wanted to show me something that I might bring Stephen Hales with me, and we went into a little place boxed off for a paint shop for William Pitt. He had been present there with Brother William Clayton, read us unto us the revelation on plural marriage. This explained the above, and I believed it, yet did not obey the same until 1872. I think it was on about the 6th of May, 1844, the prophet came up to the temple and clasping his arms around me, lifted me off my feet and then said, the Lord bless thee and I bless thee. End of quote. Some of the saints were privileged to learn about plural marriage by reading the revelation. Melissa Lott taught or testified, question, did you read the revelation discussing the plurality of wives when you were at Naboo? Answer, yes, sir. Question, where did you get it? Answer, I got it from Joseph Smith. Question, now, are you sure of that? Answer, I am. Question, was it in print or was it in manuscript? Just answer the question. Answer, well, it was in writing. It was in manuscript. In addition, Lucy Walker testified that she saw the revelation at the Naboo mansion where she was living. In a limited way, Snuffer acknowledges that evidences like those presented above exist, but his willingness to ignore them is surprising. It is true that late second-hand narratives are not as reliable as contemporaneous first-hand accounts. However, thorough scholars investigate all pertinent evidences to evaluate them based upon their individual credibility and validity. Thereafter, researchers may not agree on their significance, but eliminating an entire category of evidence simply based upon one characteristics is seldom, if ever, justified. In this case, Snuffer essentially ignores anything but first-hand accounts, which are very few in number. This approach is inherently less effective in discovering historical truth, but may be useful if an author is driven by a specific agenda that would not be better served by casting a wider evidentiary net. Declarations from dozens of Nauvoo polygamists are available in documents posted at mormonpolygamydocuments.org and are charted in a blog entitled, Yes, Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph Smith Practiced Polygamy, which can be found at josephsmithspolygamy.org. Denver Snuffer might claim that the available testimonies describe non-physical spiritual unions, but in doing so, he would be manifesting ignorance of the statements themselves. These witnesses declared they practiced plural marriage like Abraham and Jacob in the fullest sense. They agree Joseph Smith taught plural marriage, practiced plural marriage, and authorized others to do so. Heading, Historical Reality or Unreality Denver Snuffer's treatment of Joseph Smith and plural marriage suffers from two primary weaknesses. First, 
his scholarly treatment is inadequate. He examines three historical considerations to defend his interpretations, initially by discussing Fanny Alger, but she is a tangential issue at best. Next, he implies that Nauvoo polygamy rumors were traceable to John C. Bennett. Lastly, he tries to pin the responsibility for later polygamy squarely on Brigham Young. There is no way to get to the heart of the issues through such tactics. The second problem involves the volume of evidences he ignores, evidences that contradict his reconstruction. In 1770, John Adams observed, quote, facts are stubborn things, and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or our dictates of our passions, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence, end of quote. By largely ignoring the available manuscripts, Snuffer frees himself to take the storyline in his own direction, largely unfettered by historical data. But in doing so, he risks creating not documented history, but rather historical fiction. He may like it, and his followers may believe it, but it will not constitute truth, which Joseph Smith defined as things as they really are. Hopefully, these evidences demonstrate plainly that Denver Snuffer's theory that it would be bigamy, quote, it would be bigamy to marry another woman for this life while having an existing wife, end of quote, and adding that if he added others, it was for the afterlife and not for bigamy, this is on page two, are incomplete. The references quoted above and others could be provided demonstrate undeniably that Joseph was the source, the initial source of all teachings regarding eternal plural marriage. While some of his ceilings were non-sexual, eternity-only unions, most were time and eternity plural marriages. It is also clear that the prophet facilitated time and eternity plural marriages for Latter-day Saints of the Nauvoo period. It appears the only way to sustain Denver Snuffer's position on Joseph Smith and plural marriage is to deny the evidence. In its place, Snuffer has substituted an alternate reality that removes polygamy as an historical reality, instead relegating it to rumors of John C. Bennett or the adulteries of Brigham Young. As we will see in part two of my response, this process repeats itself in other historical interpretations promoted by Snuffer. He embraces selective manuscript details to produce new historical reconstructions that opens the way for his authoritative voice. Clearly, in Snuffer's world, the restoration sputtered and needs a jumpstart, and he seems to have positioned himself as the man to accomplish this perceived work. The problem is that if he is working from a foundation of half-truths, as seen in his treatment of plural marriage, then he has bound himself to things unreal, and false teachings do not lead to truth.